Welcome to The Leadership Guide, the show that takes you from peak performer to legendary leader by helping you unlock your heroic potential to emerge into who you are meant to be. This show is not your typical show on leadership. We have real, raw, unplanned, and unedited conversations with individuals from a wide variety of industries and expertise to get into the reality of what leadership actually looks like in the world not just theories that you read about in books. We leave the conversations unedited because leadership is not about perfection. And because this show is unplanned, you get unique insights and you get to see a side of these individuals that they don't usually share anywhere else. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Kimberly Wheatcamp and discuss the headbanging of bliss, the importance of language in effective communication, how the seemingly small things make a huge difference, and the challenges that have arisen with technology. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, founder of The Leadership Guide, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, and finalist for the Extraordinary Award for coaches with ideas that can change people, businesses, and the world for the better for my ideas on leadership. We are sponsored by KDDM Inc., your one-stop shop for growing your business. If you're an entrepreneur, you'll want to meet my friend Tony Kaufman and her team at KDDM Inc. to help you clarify your message, get seen, get heard, and get sales. Because most entrepreneurs get stuck in the digital and social media world and don't know how to stop losing money and leads. KDDM Inc. is a world-class digital marketing agency that offers professional video production, amazing US-based virtual assistants, and brings the best tools and resources in the industry for entrepreneurs with their done-for-you and done-with-you solutions. Thanks to KDDM Inc., more entrepreneurs are reaching their heroic potential. If you would like to be a proud sponsor of the Leadership Guide Show, please go to www.theleadership.guide and fill out the contact us form. We'll get in touch with you shortly. And don't forget, stay tuned to the end of the episode to discover how to join the League of Legendary Leaders, an association of leaders with the goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofit causes which are currently looking to impact the world and make it better for future generations. Now, onto the show. Hey, Kimberly, how's it going today? Hey, Cody, it's going very, very well. I am enjoying the, uh, the, new, the new year, the 2020. Uh, so far, it's been, it's been good to me. How about you? Oh, I'm, I'm extremely excited for the new year. And really quick, I just got to say, um, your headphones and your microphone matching each other, that's really nifty. Like, that's just <laughs> a complete sidetrack, but I just wanted to say that real quick. Um, they're oh, both, thank you. They're like an electric blue color. It's wonderful. Yeah, um, I actually got them way apart from each other, but you are like the fourth person to comment on the fact that they match and they love it. <laughs> well, you know, so, some of the best things are just unplanned. You just you kind of going around your day, and then they just happen to align perfectly like that. You know what I mean? 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of Blue. So um, I was like, ooh, Blue headphones, got to get that. And then, like, you know, I got the microphone and it came with a, a little cover to, like, help you sound really great. And I was like, oh, it matches my headphones. How awesome. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Okay, but 2020, yes, I am I'm extremely excited for this year. Coming into this year, I feel like it's going to be a fantastic year, but not just a fantastic year. I've got this, like, really deep gut feeling that this decade – is really just going to be phenomenal for a lot of people. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens, not just in this next year, but in the next 10 years, really. Yeah, you know, until I saw the first post on social media only about like three weeks ago, it didn't really occur to me that it was a new decade. Like I was very <laughs> aware, right? I, I remember all the horror stories that were going around about Y2K, right? The world was going to end. I, I distinctly <laughs> recall that the world was going to end. And I was like, I don't know why the world's going to end, but I've heard that the world's going to end. Well, and then, and then that happened know, again in 2012, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, 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 and that man, six months, world's ending in 2012. The world is ending in 2012. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to still live because it's, it's, you know, why prepare for the end, right? Just keep going. Just keep going. Um, but, you know, it didn't really occur to me until, like, I saw it on social media somewhere. Oh, yeah. It is the end of a decade, I guess. Huh. How interesting. Nifty. <laughs> Absolutely. And you said something that I think is actually really uh, incredibly insightful. And I, I, you kind of glanced over it. I don't know if you realized how insightful this is. But you said, if the world's going to end, it's going to end. And I'm going to keep living till it reaches that point. One thing that happens a lot in businesses is there's a lot of people that are doomsayers in any industry, oh, yeah. right? They'll say that it's not possible to do this thing. They say that, you know, uh, due to the economics, it's not feasible to do this. And the thing is, a lot of times it's not possible for them, but that doesn't mean it's not possible for you. Absolutely. I hear that all the time. I uh, just in general terms for marketing, you were like, oh, it's the death of email. It's the death of social media. It's the death of whatever. And I'm like, you know, it still works. It's not like it's suddenly like going to disappear. I'm sorry to say to anyone who feels this is the case, but the internet is kind of here to stay. Uh, so, you know, it's not the death of any kind of platform. It's, it's more like, you know, is it the right place for you to be where you need to be? Is it the place where the people you want to connect with are? Is it the best use of your time? make that decision and move forward. I mean, if you always look at what's not going to work, or if you're always chasing the new thing, what's the newest thing, then of course, you're not able to really focus on what is already working for you and, and moving forward. And, and I see no point in saying, oh, well, it's not going to work for me. So I'm just not going to try it. You never know until you try. Abs oh my gosh, that uh, I have fallen into the trap of seeking the new thing all the time. It's a terrible trap. Because it doesn't work. And most of the time, those, those quote unquote new things that are supposed to be the best thing are super gimmicky. They have, well, they are, yes. They, they're like, they have a very specific use or they're, they're very glitchy. I've, I've also noticed that where it's all like, it could be a great idea. It's just, it's nowhere near that actual realization of the idea. Um, and it would be absolutely, but it's just, not. yeah. And you know, anything new is going to have glitches because it's new. It's brand mm -hmm. new. It's untested. And yeah, you know, if, you, if you're that person who got in on, you know, the ground level of, I don't know, Facebook, okay, and you, you, you were there the first day they started selling ads, you know, I'm sure you 
had a lot of frustrations, but if you stuck with it, now, of course, you're, you're making bank on Facebook and new players necessarily aren't. But, you know, it's, it's a balance of how much uh, frustration do you want to go through and, uh, you know, how much, how much time and effort have you actually put into what you're talking about? You know, I, I know you're talking about with it. I call it shiny object syndrome. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, look, shiny object or, you know, oh, look, squirrel, right? Yep. That's going to work. So the grass is always greener, right? But the reality yep. is the grass is not always greener. And you need to set aside the time to actually use something. Just saying, oh, it's shiny. It's new. It's the best new thing. I'm going to go do that. It's been two days. It's not working for me. Okay, I'm going to give up. Like, you have to be able to set aside the time to actually do what needs to be done. And if you don't have the time, like, none of us are magically going to get an extra five hours any one day so that we can learn something new. (laughs) So if you don't have the time right now to learn how to actually use something, then keep doing what you're doing. Because... Those, at least you have the time, you've got the processes and you, you can keep going forward with those. Absolutely. And if it, as long as it's working, and I think that's the key, if oh, what you're doing is working, keep working it, right? Until oh, yeah. you figure out something that is dramatically better, just keep working what's working, right? Absolutely. And you know, if it's not working, see if there's something you can change just a little bit first before mm-hmm. completely abandoning it. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's two traps that a lot of people fall into. I know your, your specialty is really marketing, but this applies into everything. Uh, And and those, those two things is one, uh, giving up too early on something. And this happens with marketing plans. This happens with leadership plans where they, they try to implement this brand new thing and they're like, Oh, this thing is going to be so great. And they don't see the results after two days because we live in a microwave nation where everything's given to us in two minutes and we're not used to waiting two months for something. Right. And then I love that phrase microwave nation. (laughs) But it's so true, right? It is true. And I've heard that term before too. It's like micro content. Or, uh, you know, oh, it's the little itty bitty tidbits. We're so uh, used to that instant gratification. That's what I've heard. The instant gratification Mm -hmm. nation, right? We're all used to, I'm going to put in a search term and I'm going to see absolutely everything I want right there and I don't have to wait. But the reality is if you want real change, it's going to take time. Yeah, absolutely. And that that is... It's a, it's a challenge in our minds in today's world because we're promised everything and, you know, and, a, and a cherry on top in the <laughs> shortest amounts of time possible. But that's, that's really just not reality. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I hear, I always love it when like something is delayed at the airport, right? I fly a lot. Uh, for work and for travel. And I, I've been to over 20 countries. So I, I've been on quite a few airplanes. And, you know, people will get, they'll start to grumble as soon as they make that announcement. Oh, we're going to leave 10 minutes late. And you know what? Especially on my preferred airline, they usually land 10 minutes early. So leaving 10 minutes late, it's not like I'm going to be delayed more than like a minute or two. And I just kind of want to walk up to these people and be like, do you remember how long it takes to drive to where we're going? You know, like (laughs) I'm in the Midwest. If, if, If you're going to Chicago, you know, if you're going to Chicago, okay, six hours. So your flight's only 30 minutes, which, you know, after waiting in the airport and security, maybe it is worth it. Maybe it's not. But like, if you're flying to California, that's a four and a half hour flight, or it's like a 20 hour drive. 10 minutes, not going to make a difference. Not in the slightest. And I I think that's actually something incredibly um, important to remember is that 
when you've become normalized to a lot of different things, you stop appreciating how wonderful they really are. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. I mean, you know, we all have these really awesome newish things. And uh, one of my favorite things is I'm really a huge fan of sci-fi. So I keep all of these old science fiction magazines that Uh are like, you know, they're interviews for, you know, characters uh, of old shows or it's, you know, what's new in the world of sci-fi, what have you. And I'll go back and I'll reread them, you know, and I'll reread something from, I I recall this distinctly, it was a magazine from like 2003, Mm -hmm. uh, which didn't seem to be that long ago, but now you look at it and it's like, oh, that was 17 years ago. And they're they're advertising this brand new, stinking new thing, and it's like a thousand dollars or something. And it was for, uh, I think it was like a a 256 megabyte USB drive. (laughs) Yeah. It was the first of its kind. It was going to change the world. 256 meg. And before that, we had CDs, which could only hold like 10 meg. Such a huge difference. You know, and now it's like you can go to your local dollar store and get like three gig on a, yeah. on a USB drive. You know, it's, it's amazing how fast things change. But mm-hmm. it's a nice reminder of like where we've come from. Yeah. And in, in, in its defense, when it came out, that was revolutionary. Oh, it's just technology has just dramatically changed, not just in the, the past, you know, 20 years, but in the past five years, it's dramatically changed. Oh, yeah. Or the past two years, you know, um, I, I was in New Zealand and someone stole my camera. So I had to go buy a new digital camera. And I was so annoyed because, like, I couldn't find reviews for anything because they, they release different versions for different parts of the world. So oh, I could find reviews. Yeah. I could find reviews, but they were all for uh, an option that was an American or a European model, and the Oceania models are actually different. Um, And the technology at that time was about two or three years behind what I had in America. So my camera was three years old, but I was going to have to spend a lot of money to get a camera that was at the same level um, that... uh, you know, instead of, I usually would get like entry level point and shoot digital cameras, but I had to go way high up. Thankfully I found a sale, but you know, that was also the last year I ever used that camera because I got a smartphone and my next iteration of my smartphone, when I came back to the States, uh, it was taking just as good pictures. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. Cameras on phones are incredible today. They're, they're fantastic technology. It's like, you almost don't need anything other than your cell phone (laughs) at this point. Yeah. And it's kind of mind boggling too, because it used to be this, you know, Oh, it was such a, an amazing thing that we we've become so used to being able to take pictures so often that we don't even look at our old photos. Uh, you know, over the holidays, we, we watched some old home videos of when my sister was an infant, uh, you know, and it was like, such a mind-boggling thing. I was like, oh, this is so amazing. But then I've got like 50 videos on my phone that I never even watch because, oh, they're there. I can do it later. But we've become so used to having that access that we don't necessarily appreciate the, the ability to like go and look through all those memories. Yeah. It, it's almost, actually, this creates a, a dual problem. Uh, in my mind. One is there's the lack of appreciation due to the, the complete overload of, the, of what we have. Second off, there is the lack of actually living in the moment when you're taking all of these photos, where you actually lack it in the moment. And so you're, you're actually complete lack of, of appreciation, both when it's there and in the hindsight as well, just because of the complete overload of everything. 
Definitely. I, I can definitely uh, relate to that. You know, sometimes I'll, I like to go look at all of the light displays that, that different places have, you know, they, they're themed and like, you know, they're an event to go to and I'm taking all my pictures and I'm like, you know, I have to actually like take the camera down, go look around. And I mean, I, I, I love looking at all of the lights. They're so pretty. Um, and it, it thoroughly amuses my friends who come with me <laughs> to watch me just get all excited like a little kid uh, about the, the fun displays, you know, um, like our, our zoo does one for, for the Halloween and, you know, it's just walking through all the Halloween decorations and I just find it so much fun. Um, but then, you know, you have to make that, that distinction in your head. Okay, stop looking at it through the lens of your camera and actually like enjoy this. Take a moment. Remember the, the feel of the icy cold wind blowing through all of your clothes and the smell of the smoke from the free hot cocoa and, and marshmallows they're giving away, you know, uh, be, be there, be present. Absolutely. It's something we need more of and, and not just in our everyday lives, but in our businesses too. There, there's so many people who are just living in the future or like so engrossed in just the challenges that they're not appreciating just the little things that are going right in their business. So often, um, and, and I have this happen with clients is they're like, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. And I, I, you, you have to tell them stop, like take a moment. Where were you a month ago? And they go, <laughs> Whoa, I was there a month ago. And yeah, do you realize how far you've come just from then? And like, we, we just are in so many areas of our life where we're really missing out on all these great things that are happening all the time. Absolutely. I am. I just did a, like an end of year, end of the decade. Hey, it's, it's the year for 2020, but don't look back, look forward. Like yeah. a, a daily uh, a marketing tip, right? And I mm -hmm. did it on my, my page and did a group for it. And at the end, the last day wasn't anything else for them to actually do. It was, okay, I want you to take a moment to celebrate. Realize that you have now planned out all of your marketing, all of your strategy. You know exactly what you're going to talk about. You know exactly who you're talking to. You know exactly how you're going to get your marketing done and the schedule you're going to follow so that it actually gets published on time for the rest of the year. Take a moment and celebrate all the effort you have put into making this happen for you and your business uh, because I think it's something that a lot of people kind of forget about. They're like, oh, I hit publish and now I have to move on to the next thing. It's like, no, take a moment and say, yes, I did something, I accomplished it, and I need to make note of that because, you know, looking back, you want to be able to kind of revel in, hey, this is where I did come from. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I've been guilty of this too because it, when, when you start to, to look at your goals at a very high level and you start pushing for them really hard, to happen as quickly as you can try and make them happen, you, you get lost in that vision sometimes. It's very easy to get lost in that vision. But when you really just stop for a moment, and just look, oh my gosh, it's your life can literally change in five years or less. Mm, absolutely. So it, it definitely can change. Yeah. So the world that you're a part of, that your business is in, is marketing. So, Kimberly, how do you go from, uh, you know, growing up into getting into where you are now? Tell me about this journey of yours. Oh, this journey of mine. Um, 
you know, my journey pretty much starts my ever first uh, trip, if you will. Uh, as a kid, I would go to grandma's house, but grandma was, you know, five hours away and we'd stay there for two weeks and I absolutely love traveling and we would take road trips all the time as a family. We would take a family vacation every year. And I just, I really fell in love with travel, with going to new places, experiencing new things. And so I kind of based my decision on where I was gonna to go to university as to, okay, who's got really great study abroad programs? Because I knew I wanted to go travel and I wanted to do it under the guise of like learning new things. Um, and you know, I entered university and I was one of those many, many lucky people who uh, university started and a month later the recession started. <laughs> so uh, my, uh, my, my ability to uh, pay for school and my ability to get employed afterwards uh, were not great, but while studying abroad, um, I found out about this program where I could go teach English uh, in Spain. And they're like, all you need is a degree <laughs> and uh, you know, to apply really early. And so since I, I didn't really have an option on where else to go after I was going to graduate, uh, because I didn't want to have to pay for grad school because it was incredibly expensive and it wasn't necessarily going to guarantee me a better job. Uh, so I was like, okay, fine. I will apply for uh, this program to go teach in Spain and we'll see what happens. And you know, graduation day came and I was really nervous because I hadn't heard about it yet. I was like, I'd heard people had gotten their placements and I didn't have anything. And then like two days later, I got my placement. I was like, yes, okay, awesome. I know where I'm gonna be in four months. <laughs> so I was able to enjoy my summer and I moved to Spain. And I, I lived there for two years and I taught as an English teacher. And while abroad, I started doing some travel writing and from there kind of got introduced to the world of copywriting and realized it was a, a much better paying gig than travel writing, but would still let me work from anywhere in the world. Uh, so I got into copywriting and uh, got certified in that and just decided to start my business while, uh, while living abroad and then came back to the States for a bit and, and went to establish the business. Okay, gotcha. So, so talk <laughs> to me about the experience of uh, starting working abroad in Spain as, as a teacher, what was that like? Because uh, you, you enjoyed travel, but you didn't live in a different country. You right. know, I, I'm assuming most of your travel was in the United States. You might have periodically went other places, but I mean, you weren't living other places for months and years on end. So what was that transition like for you? Well, I, as I said, I studied abroad in Spain first. Um, so I'd been there for three months. And then I actually did another, I loved it so much that I, was, as soon as I got home, I was like, okay, how can I study abroad again and still graduate on time? Uh, so I, I studied abroad in China and I lived there for five months uh, and, you know, got a bunch of credits that didn't count towards anything for my degree. Uh, I essentially took a semester off, um, but it was in China. So that was really nifty. Uh, so I, I had lived abroad, but I had been doing it like in the, system of a school system, right? Yeah. I was like, living in a dorm. Which is very so was, different from like a workplace system. Oh, it was absolutely different. You know, I, I landed in this foreign country and I had to figure out like how to get my visa and how to apply for everything and how to navigate the system. And oh yeah, I had to find a place to live. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, it was kind of being thrown into the deep end on, you know, what people call adulting, except I was doing it in a foreign country where no one spoke English. Uh, so... That was rather entertaining. Um, but, you know, the, the people were just really helpful. And I had remembered that from my time in Spain before, you know. I, uh, I met my coworkers. I went to my first day of work. Um, I actually knew someone 
who had been in the country before. She was a year ahead of me in school and I knew her from my program. So I ended up renting her apartment. So I actually knew where I was going that first day, which That's was useful, good. even though I'd never stepped foot into it, right? I just had the pictures. So, you know, my first interaction is with the landlord who doesn't speak English and I have to read through this contract in Spanish and you know, I have to make sure I know what I'm signing beforehand, which was, uh, that, that's definitely into the deep end on, um, you know, let's see how useful that Spanish degree is now. Um, and the answer was not very, <laughs> but, um, you know, and then my first day I, I went to the school, I found where it was, got a little lost. That's okay. And, uh, talked to the people in the in the school that I was going to be working with and they were incredibly helpful they're like you know if you have questions if you need to find something if you need advice on where to look for you know to find your groceries or something just let us know we're here to help we're happy to um, and it was a very interesting experience because uh, the, the way the Spanish school system is structured is incredibly different than it is here um, teachers get like points uh, depending on years of service and depending on levels of education and depending on uh, where they've taught in the past. So instead of like most teachers, you know, they find a school and they stay there for a couple of years. Here they get placed. Uh, they get placed in Spain. And um, so the younger they are, the more rural out they are. So I was in a city. So I was working with people who were 20, 25 years older than me um, for the most part. And then like, once you get to a certain level of points, you can decide where you want to permanently be based. Um, okay. So that, that was really interesting uh, that it was just such a different system. So uh, learning how to teach in a new system in a system I didn't know about and uh, also doing it in a foreign language, it was a lot of fun. It was an adventure for me and I, it was a chance for me to uh, live somewhere new, get some new experiences and get the chance to continue traveling. Absolutely. And, and what's, what's really incredible about all of that is uh, whether it's just for a new job or you're a leader going into a new leadership position, it can be really foreign when you get placed into a new area or when you enter a new work environment. Maybe they're not literally speaking another language, but a lot <laughs> of times you enter a new business, they have some sort of language that's already been developed and you're entering into this and the, one thing we talked about before we started was the curse of knowledge. And yes. so a lot of times with the curse of knowledge, people think you should already have some preconceived knowledge before you actually arrive there. And usually you don't. And so right, they'll get into all that talk, right? And mm -hmm. you'll have no idea what they're talking about, but they assume you do. <laughs> what were you going to say? And it may be a topic you know about, but yeah. they're using words you don't know. So you're like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, because, because sometimes different uh, companies, organizations, all these different places, they, they are using the same ideas. They've just, they call it their version of the idea. And it's like mm -hmm. version X versus version Y over here. And if you don't click right away that it's the same thing, just a different word for it, all of a sudden you're like, huh? It's like listening to a completely different language. Oh yeah. And, and you're completely lost or they have a different phrase for how they do something. And like, you know, your last job called it something different. So in some cases they are actually using another language. It's still English, but the way they talk about things is different than the way you're used to. And you're like, okay, wait, what you is that like again? <laughs> you're like, I swear I heard English words, but I don't understand what you're saying. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like listening to doctor speak, right? You're like, yeah. wait, what? Like, what was that? That's a perfect example, right? You go into the doctor's office and they're like, well, apparently you've come down with this uh, syndrome. And you're like, huh? What? Yeah. What does that mean? Am I going to die? They're like, oh, of course not. You're fine. But <laughs> then they say something else and you're like, huh? Yeah, like, I still don't get it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Um, but, but yeah, that, and sometimes it takes a little bit of, how long would you say that it took you to get acclimated to the, the new environment that you entered into? Oh, definitely. It took a couple of weeks for sure. It was like three, four weeks because just learning how they did things, like realizing that, you know, our teachers, for example, they spend like 40 hours a week with student contact, right? You, that's student to teacher contact. Yeah. And there it's like max 20 hours. So the way they worked, the way they operated, the way they expected us to work and operate was completely different based off of that alone. And, uh, you know, getting mistaken for a student uh, pretty much daily was also a little bit of a hindrance. <laughs> <laughs> well, that should serve you well later in life, right? <laughs> yes, yes, it should. Um, I was teaching in a high school, so, you know, that's like 12 to to 16 in Spain and um, as, a, as a foreign teacher, because I was essentially going into someone else's classroom, I had to wait until they showed up. And uh, you know, what they say about Spaniards being very laid back and not keeping to a schedule is absolutely true, even in the classroom. Uh, so often, you know, I'm waiting in the hall for like 10 minutes, 12 minutes after the bell rings, teacher's still not there, I'm not allowed to go in. And the hall monitor's walking around and they're like, why aren't you in class? And I'm like, because I'm the assistant teacher. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. Oh, so, oh man. So, okay, so from from teaching, you did that for two years. Yes. What goes, what, what, so, and then you go into travel writing. Right, so um, I was teaching and uh, I heard about this thing you could do called travel writing and it never had really occurred to me and I dived into the program and consumed it in like, 48 hours and I loved it and I started pitching and I got accepted pretty fast um, but I realized that you know it wasn't a, a high paying area it's something a lot of people do for like a, a retirement uh, surplus income type thing or you'd have to be traveling more than I was traveling and I didn't want to be traveling more like I liked having a home base and taking weekend trips that was nice for me uh, but through travel writing um, and reading about other travel writers I stumbled across this thing called copywriting while at the same time making the decision that I was going to go move to New Zealand for a year and live and work there. But I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a job yet, but I was like, I got my visa. I'm off. So, uh, so. so hold on. The question is, was the reason you decided on New Zealand, did it have anything to do with the Lord of the Rings? Uh, slightly. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. I met an American uh, working in Ireland, actually, on a trip uh, while living in Spain, and I was amazed because it's really hard for uh, non-Europeans to get work in Europe, and I said, how are you doing this? And she told me about this thing called a working holiday visa, uh, which I couldn't get in Ireland, but she had just come from New Zealand, and I said, you know, I'm almost finished with teaching. I don't necessarily want to go back to the States yet. That sounds like an idea. I'll go do that. Uh, and hey, I can go visit all the Lord of the Rings stuff. That was absolutely on my mind. I went to like four different things while I was there. Okay. So do you see this? I don't. You don't oh, see it? Samwise Gamgee. Oh, it's a yeah. little pop. Oh, 
and it's it signed. Me. It's signed. I see that. By That's Sean awesome. Astin. So yeah, oh, so fantastic. I met Sean Astin actually last year. I met Sean Astin at a convention. My uh, my fiance and I were super nerds, and we go to a bunch of different conventions. Oh, whoops. <laughs> So, yeah, so we go to a bunch of different conventions throughout the year. Um, and at that convention, he was there, and I actually got to meet Sean Astin. So that was, that was pretty cool. Awesome. Played Samwise Gamzee in Lord of the Rings. Uh, recently, he was in um, Stranger Things as well. He's bad. Yeah, I uh, didn't get into that one. Okay. I, I do have to say I really did enjoy uh, seasons one and two of um stranger things i think it's actually a pretty great tv series in my opinion at least so far i see what happens from many people (laughs) so okay so you went to new zealand i went did you actually go see all the lord of the rings things that are there to see oh yeah i went to hobbiton you know i got my photo taken in front of like a million and one uh hobbit holes and uh, that was pretty amazing. And then, of course, you know, I told you my camera got stolen. So um, that had all of my photos on it. So, of course, oh. I had to go back again. So I went <laughs> twice. <laughs> hey, that sounds like the perfect reason to go back again. All right. Yeah, I went twice. And then I went on, um, I went on a day trip in uh, Wellington that takes you to some of the, uh, it's like a self-guided one. Uh, I got it from the place I was working. And they had like a little walk that you could go on. Uh, that took you to all the, the places that they filmed nearby. I went to Weta Workshops, which is also in Wellington, and I went on a, a full day trip that took you to all the locations that they filmed for Rohan. Um, so absolutely, awesome. <laughs> I, I, I did the Lord of the Rings stuff. Not everything. There's like a good 50 or 60 tours you could probably find, at least, minimum. Um, but I, I definitely uh, indulged my inner nerd and, and had a little fun. That's absolutely amazing. Lord of the Rings has consistently been one of my favorite movie trilogies of all time. Actually, just uh, like maybe two months ago, I took a weekend and I watched all of, I did The Hobbit and then The Lord of the Rings. I watched it in the, you know, the quote unquote chronological order, extended editions of everything. Um, first that took only two days? <laughs> took me two days. Yeah, I powered through it. I didn't do anything else except eat and lightly slept during those two <laughs> days. But yes, I did it in two days. And um, it made me actually, um, have you seen the, have you seen the Hobbit series? I have. I, and yeah, your opinion I, uh, is? Eh. Eh. Yeah, no, mine too. I, I uh, agree with that. The Hobbit is the one I've actually read. I had to read it in high school, and that's the only reason I finished it was because it was for school. Um, (laughs) I tried reading Lord of the Rings like five times. I could never get past about halfway through the first book, but I love the movies. So Okay, I will say um, reading Lord of the Rings, um, the the first, technically Lord of the Rings is six books, Yes. technically speaking. Um, So if you take The Fellowship of the Ring, which is the first two books, the Fellowship of the Rings is really hard to get through. And the reason it's really hard to get through is because the Lord of the Rings was really more of a work of world creation. Mm. And the, the Fellowship of the Ring, those first two books, dove heavily in world creation. Like, it's almost entirely world creation. There's almost nothing outside of that. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like five pages on the you know, the description of the Glen that they're about to enter. Exactly. No, like literally that's what it is. Um, <laughs> and if 
we're not really, again, like we were talking about microwave mentality. We're oh, not yeah. used to reading that because we've kind of have this idea of what fantastical worlds are. And so we, we don't need that really described to us, but Tolkien was really one of the first individuals to develop a whole world, not just like, a, like, this like mystical area that you entered into like you might hear in a myth he actually designed a whole world a whole history a whole mythology to go with his world um and, no and the languages had, and and the languages actually he developed the languages first and then developed the worlds to go around the way the languages developed over time which is absolutely fascinating um to me right it, it's one of those things where he's all like i'm going to design a, a new language and in the process of designing a new language he's like oh well i better create a whole history of a world around this language right <laughs> to explain how this happened <laughs> it's it's amazing how one of the one of the uh, pivotal pieces of um of fantasy literature was created not with the idea of creating fantasy literature but with the idea of developing a language over a long period of time and how it would change over time um definitely and that's kind of my background i love languages i love learning languages and uh, i even took a class on like the evolution of language and how that happens and how drift happens so oh, awesome. it's always fascinating to me yeah. Did you, was there one point in time where you kind of felt like you wanted to do something like Tolkien did? I'm just curious. Did I want to create my own language? Not so much. Um, but <laughs> I've always loved languages and I, I, languages and accents, right? Like I'm that person who hears somebody and I'm like, okay, are you from this area? Right? Because, and they're like, yeah, how'd you know? He's like, oh, because of your accent. And it, it's a, it's one of those things I really, um, I, it's part of what makes me love travel so much is because you never know who you're going to meet. You know, one of the, the strangest sensations is to look up from the hostel I was running at the time in New Zealand. And there was somebody across from me that I went to college with. And I was like, wait, what? Because it's so far away. And you know, the trip to New Zealand is like 20 hours minimum, yeah. uh, 30 to 40 if you, uh, you know, not going the fastest route ever. Um, so it's not, it was very rare for me to meet Americans, much less somebody from the Midwest uh, where I was. But, you know, just being able to hear that difference, um, meet people from all over and, you know, kind of just learn new ways of saying things. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun for me. I, I could imagine. And I, the part of the reason I ask that is because you kind of started in language and now you do a lot of writing. Um, and you do more than just writing, but copywriting is really a, a, an art of writing. Um, and I mean, that's not too far off from Tolkien. Uh, yeah, you know, travel writing was, it's, it's all about building the story, right? With travel yeah. writing, you have to really make the, the location that you're going to come alive for people. That's what makes them want to buy. And then uh, that that easily led into copywriting, which is making people see their future self so that they can realize what kind of solution and what kind of benefits and how it's going to transition them to being able to be in this better place if they uh, buy whatever you're selling. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've never um, wanted to create a language. I've toyed with the idea of maybe someday at some point writing a novel, but it's not been like my, my number one goal in life. Um, I just, I like consuming them, right? I, I yeah. love reading. I love learning about new places and I love visiting them. <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, and now I'm trying to figure out how we diverged into here. Okay. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> so, so you're living in New Zealand, you're working at a yes. hostel and you're, yes, I was running a hostel. Yeah. And, and you're exploring all of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and, and from there you decide to go into what, so was it from there that you go into travel writing or into, yeah. how Guide me through the next so, part of the journey. Absolutely, yeah. I was doing travel writing while living in Spain. Uh, and then I had a couple months between ending my teaching and beginning my, my journey through New Zealand. Uh, so I was actually uh, working 60 hours a week running a hostel while uh, getting certified as a copywriter. So okay. I was, you know, on my off days because I worked a three on three off schedule. Okay. Um, so on my off days, I was diving into the training, learning everything I could about marketing. And as soon as I came home uh, from New Zealand, a week later, I went to my first copywriting conference and landed my first clients. How did that feel? <laughs> that felt amazing. Like, you know, I, it was really heady to, to, to go through the travel writing stuff and then uh, realize that I could actually get paid to write about my travels because I, I was doing it anyway, right? Um, but you know, it was, it was, it was small amounts. Um, and then being able to, you know, I've only got the basics of the training, right? I got certified, all that good stuff, but it's my first time ever trying to land a job and I got like four projects from the conference. So I was like, yes, okay, I can do this. It's going to happen and I'm going to make it happen. That's awesome. Now I'm, I'm just curious. Do you think it was your training in the copywriting that allowed you to make your pitch at the conference more effectively so that you landed those jobs? Um, I think it was a combination just of my love of storytelling and my ability to see where the gaps are. Uh, the, the first project I got hired for was uh, for a company that creates a lot of products about travel. <laughs> so, uh, you know, being able to bring that, that, that training, but also just that experience into my writing was really great. Also, uh, you know, a big appeal for people is, well, we want to appeal to a specific audience or we want to appeal to this particular audience. So being able to realize this is who you want to talk to. And I had just spent three years meeting people from all over the world, from all walks of life. I'm like, oh, that's who you want to talk to? Great. Okay, here you go. That, and, and what that kind of tells me, when, when I look at the landscape of different types of people that can help you, I, I really see there's basically five types of people that provide help in different ways. You have teachers who kind of give you that base level of information, which once you have that information, you kind of take off from there. Kind of like that certification provided for you, it sounds like. It gave you that, mm -hmm. that perfect base level. Then you have coaches, kind of like myself, where you help people see that future piece where they're trying to get to, and then you make sure that they stay on the path to actually get there. Then you have mentors, which it sounds like that's actually a lot of what you provided for these for these different businesses is you've been down the path already. You, you've already kind of understand the ins and outs. And so they're mm -hmm. trying to get down that path now. And you already have that kind of knowledge that allows them to really catch up to where you're at. Um, and then outside of those, the other two is I see the consultant, which is when you bring somebody in to do a job for you. And you could also place an employee in that kind of same arena, which I know you do some of that work as well. And then, yes. um, and then the, the last area I would call your, 
uh, and there's a couple different names for this, but they generally fall into this area. Your counselors, your healers, that kind of general area where they look more at your past and they kind of try and help you get to a new baseline from mm -hmm. where your past was. And so I feel like all five of those are extremely important roles. It sounds like at least for those first couple of clients, you actually played a huge mentor role for them, not just the consultant role as they were bringing you in for that directly, but you also were able to provide that mentorship as well. Absolutely. I've never heard the, the types of people who can help you describe that way, but I, I love your description there. And I'm definitely a cross between mentor and consultant because uh, for a lot of people, you know, they bring someone in so that they, they can do it for them. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it's kind of like, I don't want to just do it for you because I want you to understand why it's going to work and why it's going to work for you and how it's going to help you moving forward. So of course I'm going to kind of explain the process behind it and guide you to this is how it will help you in the future. I, I love that description. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I'm actually working on turning that into an article for Forbes. So fingers crossed that'll oh, come out soon. Yeah. But regardless of that, um, I think that's actually an incredibly important thing for a consultant. If, if you're somebody that's looking to bring on a consultant, uh, there are a lot of people who play the consultant role that mm -hmm. you bring them into the area, they do the job and they leave and that's it. And the big challenge that I see with consultants that work like that is you have no idea what they did. You don't, a lot yep. of times you don't even know if it actually worked right? It, it could mm -hmm. be that just the time you brought them in to do something, something magical just happened during that time period that made it seem like what they did worked, when in reality, it had nothing to do with what they did. Um, especially Absolutely. when from, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, when you're, when you're looking at a consultant in marketing. Um, and so when you, when you have a consultant that not just does the work, but actually shows you why they're doing the work and gives you knowledge with it, whether it's from the mentor role or the teacher role. Um, I think that's incredibly beneficial. Um, and if you're looking to hire a consultant, that's the type of consultant you should be looking to hire. Absolutely. And you know, that's part of the, the project that I provide to people, no matter what it is that we're doing, if I'm handing over something to you, if it's copy, if it's a strategy, whatever it is, then we're going to hop on a call and I'm going to walk you through it to make sure you understand it, to make sure I answer your questions and to make sure that it, it makes sense to you and that, you know, nothing about it is against your brand or against what you want to be putting out into the world. Because, you know, not everyone's going to get it hundred percent right every time, but uh, you know, I'm also voice trained. So it's like, I want to write like you, I want to sound like you, but I also want whatever I'm saying to really resonate with you and with your audience. And I want to make sure that as we go through all of this, it, it makes sense to you. Um, and if you have questions, I, I'm that person. I'm like, you got questions, please ask. Don't, don't just sit in the back and hope that I'll answer it at some point. I want you to ask because I'm happy to explain. Which, which is absolutely phenomenal. And it, 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 what that really ties into is communication on multiple levels. One of the, the big challenges we have in our world today is communication. And the mm -hmm. reason it is, is because there's actually very few people who actually know how to communicate because we're not really shown how to communicate. We go through our educational system, especially in the United States. I can't say for the whole world per se, 
but the right. United States is generally considered a pretty good educational system overall. Um, and I was not really taught how to communicate effectively. I was taught how to write and I was taught how to read. And that is very different from communicating. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of my biggest struggles was first, especially when I first started out was like, how do I phrase this? I'm going to send an email to a client. How do I say this? Like, this is what I want to say, but is it okay to say it that way? Or do I need to like change the wording so that what I'm saying is, you know, in line with professionalism, in line with what they're expecting, in line with expectations, all those good things. And uh, that's one of the things I've, I've been working on myself is just creating templates and processes so that I can say, okay, I'm going to sit down and write about this. I know exactly what I need to say so that they understand and I understand exactly how our roles are going to work. And that is so important in, in all lines of work, in all lines of living, to be quite frank. Um, you need to be able to look at the situation and say, okay, when I talk to this other individual, whether it's person to person, whether it's via an email, whether it's through social media, like no matter what format you're communicating, you need to say, okay, is what I'm saying getting across to them the way I intended it to be understood? from their perspective. Oh yeah, that's that's one of the uh, the great things and the the worst things about email, right? Is that you can say, you, you can put so much information in an email, maybe you don't have to schedule a time first to get on the phone so it's easier or faster, but then it's also like none of the uh, emotional and body language is in an email. So people are like, well, what's the tone? You gotta make sure that your tone is proper for an email, but then like, you know, where are they coming from? What's their background? Is what I think a, a proper tone, is it gonna be offensive or too casual for them? You know, it's, it's, it's a very fine line to walk. Absolutely, especially because communication, and I don't remember the exact percentages top of my mind right now, but it's, it's something like 70% of our communication is done via our body language. Another like mm -hmm. 20 to 25% of it is how we say what we say. And then the last five to 10% is the actual words we use. Right. But then in, so like in via email, especially you're cutting out 70% of how we normally communicate. And so you Absolutely. really have to rely on a different kind of method than what we're used to doing. That is most definitely the case. And uh, it's one of those things where anything that you're putting out into the world, as you were saying, right, if it's social media, if it's email, if it's, you know, even if it's, um, you know, video is not as bad because you're on video, but you're not necessarily interacting one to one with people if like you're Absolutely. recording a video. So, or, you know, some people, they only do the video like right here, right? Just, yeah. just your head. And uh, the rest of you is also saying something, but you can't see it. So it's a, it's a great way to, to get to know somebody, but also it's, it's, it's kind of hard to make sure that you're, you're on the same line of communication. Absolutely. And, and that is the challenge that you have to fight with every single day. Oh, yes. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you do to overcome those challenges? To overcome the challenges of communication? Mm -hmm. uh, so one of my first things that I did, and this was something that a coach told me very early on, was decide what success and a great working relationship looks for you, and then let your clients know about it. Um, 
one of the uh, first pieces of advice I ever heard from people who were freelancing. They're like, here's, here's the top tips for freelancers. And I was appalled at the top two options. Uh, and number one is show up. And number two is um, meet your deadlines. And I said, really? You've got to be kidding. And they said, no, that's 80% of the job right there is if you show up ready to work and if you complete things when you say you're going to complete them, you are going to put yourself above 80% of everybody else because it's such a foreign concept. So what I did was I sat down and I wrote out the guidelines that what my expectations were and what the client expectations should be when working together. And as soon as somebody signs a contract with me, I send them that message that says, you know, here's how I look. Here's how I see our working relationship moving forward. Here's how we're gonna communicate. Here's how often you'll hear from me. Here's how you can let me know about questions. Here's the type of material I need from you. Uh, you know, let me know if you have any questions. And uh, I've, I've gotten feedback from a lot of clients over the years who say, you know, that's just amazing that you let me know that uh, I wasn't going to give you money and I wasn't going to hear from you for three weeks and then you were going to give me the copy. Like, I love the fact that you send me a weekly message that says, hey, here's what I've accomplished this week. Here's what I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, you know, do you have any questions? <laughs> because they know, they, they get that communication. It's, you know, they don't have to worry. Like, am I going to hear from this person again? It's been two weeks. It's a week until deadline, but are they on track? I don't know. So just kind of setting those guidelines for yourself and for your clients. So letting people know, hey, I am not available on a Sunday, right? You know, if you email me, that's fine, but you're not getting an answer until Monday or later, right? Um, just kind of setting up those guidelines for yourself to set your own boundaries and then letting people know about them. You, you know, you need to let your clients know this is how I see it going forward, you know, and uh, I look forward to working with you. Absolutely. That, uh, as you're talking about this, it, it reminds me of a quote, and I'm not saying it exactly as it was said, and I don't remember where I heard it, but essentially what the quote is, is it's not a sign of health to be acclimated to an extremely sick world. And mm. one of the things you talked about in, in what you're talking about there is that the world of freelancing is very sick. And I, I've, had clients that were in the more or less freelancing world and I've known a lot of people from the freelancing world and it's very, very sick. It's filled with people who don't hit deadlines. It's filled with people who you never know what happens to them. It's filled with people who make really big promises and then they never deliver it. And it's, it's really sad. And for, for people who have morals and who uh, actually want to show up in the world well, um, it, it looks abysmal when you look at that and you're like, is that really how people are? And I think it's also kind of the mentality. Uh, a lot of freelancers come from a corporate job. So they view it as I am the man now, right? I came from somebody else telling me what to do. So I get to set my schedule now, but they don't let anybody else know about what that schedule looks like. And um, for me, though, I never really had a quote unquote nine to five normal job ever. <laughs> All of my jobs have been very, very unique and very different. You know, I was a, an AV tech. I set up concert stages and tore down equipment. I, uh, I ran a hostel. <laughs> yeah. Wait, when did college. that happen? Oh, okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was in university. You, you kind of um, skipped over that one. I didn't hear that one. Yeah, but okay. you know, I skipped that one. But, you know, I was a bartender, but I was a bartender in New Zealand, not in America. You know, so I have this really very different approach to it in that, look, it's a job. Like, yeah, you don't have to call it a job if you don't want to, but it is your career. It is your business. Why on earth wouldn't you um, show up? and keep your promises and you know you tell the boss which is yourself but also your clients look deadline is 5 p.m on this day why on earth would then you decide huh, well that doesn't have to be the deadline i'm going to change that i mean it's you know it's your business why and i just don't understand that mentality but i think part of it is because people are coming from oh, i'm finally free to set my own schedule but i forgot to tell the other people what that schedule looks like yeah, and I, I think that is, is such an important insight, is so many people leave one thing to, to seek the greener grass, like we were talking about earlier, right, with marketing. People, yes. people leave what they think is going to die, and they go into something that they think is the green grass, and it doesn't work out the way they thought it was going to work out, because they didn't have the right expectations going in. Yay, mm -hmm. you have all this freedom, and you get to make up your schedule, but at the same time, if you're, if you're, if you don't have any integrity to what you set up, if you're not able to complete deadlines on time, if you leave people in the dark and they don't know what's going on, you're not going to last very long in the long term. It's not sustainable. And they have the wrong expectation going into it. That happens all the time. Absolutely. You know, it's that shiny object syndrome. It's like, oh, you know, and that's why I don't really like the, uh, you know, you'll see the videos, uh, do what I do and you'll make a hundred million dollars and buy oh, a Lambo that, and make past, money while you sleep. And I'm past, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, the, the past couple conversations I've had, that is like more and more one of the things that uh, peeves me to no end right? That like, yes. if you do everything exactly like I do, you're going to have dramatic success, but you're not them, right? Mm -hmm. You're talking copywriting. You have a certain way that you speak to people. If you try to speak to people in their language, it's not going to work for you. It just won't Absolutely. because people see right through it. Yeah. And part of it is as well is, you know, as you were talking about with the microwave mentality, right? We want instant success. And so you see all of these things out there about the freelance lifestyle and working on the beach and, you know, never having to get out of your PJs and, uh, you know, do it for uh, a minute and you're going to suddenly make uh, six figures a year. I mean, it takes hard work. Anything you do that's worth doing takes hard work, right? I mean, Absolutely. you know, you have to put in the effort and if you're not willing to then you need to reevaluate what why you got into freelancing in the first place i mean me personally uh your visitor your, your listeners can't necessarily necessarily see this but i'm as pale as snow white i don't like the beach because i'm gonna get a sunburn in about 2.5 seconds also sand in my laptop well there's a, a 400 dollars i have to throw away and get a new one um you know working from my pjs I, it's not, I work from comfortable clothing, of course, but like, it's a brain thing, right? If you stay in your PJs, you're still staying in like sleep mode, so you're never mm -hmm. going to get anything done. Um, you know, those kinds of things, or, oh, only do it for two seconds and you're going to make a million dollars. And my first thought when I, when I first started freelancing was, well, what am I doing with a million dollars? Do I need a million dollars? Like, I, I don't need a million dollars to live because at the time I was living in a much cheaper area 
you know, cost of living was much lower where I was. And it's like to, to pay my bills, to travel when I want, to eat what I want and to, you know, save a little bit of money. I don't need to make a million dollars. So why on earth should that be a goal for me? You know, it's, it's all about putting it into perspective of where you want to go, what you want to do, and also kind of being realistic. Like, look, you can call it not a job. You can say, oh, if you, if you go after your passion, it's not work, but it's still work. Absolutely. And that is so important to remember. Um, people, it, I, I, part of it, I, I, I've got a huge respect for this person, but people have kind of twisted it tremendously. Um, and it's the work of Joseph Campbell. And one of the things that a lot of people cling on to from the work of Joseph Campbell is a phrase that he says, which is follow your bliss. And people believe, quote unquote, believe that bliss means this perpetual happiness where everything is always good and rainbows and butterflies and sunshine and yay, right? <laughs> and that, that has nothing to do with what Joseph Campbell was talking about. Late, in later interviews in his life, he said, one of the other things that I should have said is follow your blisters. Because oh. part of following your bliss, it's not that this like perpetual happiness uh, bubble that never gets popped because that doesn't exist. What he was intending to mean is that it's this work that is hard and you go after it. It causes blisters, right? But you know that even through the struggles, even through the pains, even through the headaches and frustrations and all of that, this is the only thing you want to be doing. Absolutely. Yes. That this is, is the thing I want to be doing. Yeah, exactly. And like you could be banging your head on the wall, but you know that you want to be banging on your head on the wall doing this, not doing something else. And we part of like that microwave mentality again, right? Is we, we want to just look at the positives of bliss and we don't want to look at the head banging of bliss as, yes, as Joseph absolutely. Campbell meant it. <laughs> the head banging of bliss. That's a great quote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to what? Uh, trademark that? Is that the word? The hang? The yeah, trademarking. <laughs> trademarking, absolutely. But it's true. It's like, you know, yes, you can go after what you love. And I love helping people. And I love solving those puzzles. And I love being able to dive into somebody's company, get to know it anew, kind of get to know their voice. That's fun for me. But, you know, I also have to do silly things like return emails and make invoices and, you know, create my own marketing and talk about myself, which is not something I always love doing. But, yeah. you know, it's one of those things things where it's work. Even though you love what you do, there are some days you're just like, man, do I want to get up and do that? And that's okay. Absolutely okay. <laughs> that that is human, right? And and that that's a that's another thing that really irks me. There's so many people that think that they have to be perfect, right? And this is mm. this is incredibly prevalent in the leadership world is so many people think they have to be perfect at whatever that position is. And that's not true. It's not true and it's not possible. If you, one, if you actually happen to come off as perfect, which almost never happens, but if you do happen to do that, you become alienated from the people around you because Absolutely. they can't relate to you at all and they don't know how to relate to you. And, and you actually like, create this gap that they don't know how to overcome. 
I actually, I actually ex uh, more or less experienced this in the, the world of Christianity. Um, one, one of the things that a lot of people always say in the world of Christianity is be like Jesus, right? Do what Jesus would do. And if, if you're a Christian, you believe that Jesus was a perfect person. That is the belief. Now, you can believe that. You can choose not to believe that. That's up to you. I'm not going to tell you how to believe or not to believe. But in the Christian world, that's the idea. And so if you're mm -hmm. thinking about this, you're like, I have to live up to this perfect person. How the heck do I do that? Because I screw <laughs> up all the freaking time, right? But then so does everyone else, right? Well, but, and, and this is the thing. One of the things that made it easier is this concept of saints, right? They are these very flawed people. They, they had challenges that they overcame. They had things that they did wrong in their lives, but they still lived as close to, to perfect as is humanly possible. And they're celebrated for that. And, and so it was like the, this nice middle area where you, you had people you could relate to better. And that really helped me in my, my Christian journey of what does living like Jesus actually look like when you're not a perfect person? And right. if we take that outside of it, if we're in a leadership position, if we're not the, the perfect person, we're just trying to live up to that perfect ideal. And yes, we make mistakes and yes, we're flawed. And we can admit that and talk about that to people, right? We can relate to those that we lead so much better. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, life isn't a destination, it's a journey, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a leader, as a business owner, what, whatever your job title, if you will, is, you know, you're, if, as long as you're working towards a better tomorrow, that's a good thing, right? But I mean, I, I would not want to be around anyone who portrays themselves as being perfect because then it just makes Nobody you does. feel guilty. Like yeah. you feel guilty. You're like, uh, what do I talk about with this person? Because I'm not perfect and they're perfect. So, you know, I don't even know how to relate to them. Absolutely. It's just an alienation thing. Yeah. And your clients I, don't want to be around you. Your employees don't want to be around you. Like no one wants to be around you. Y your family may not want to be around you. That actually happens, <laughs> right? Where like the yeah. kids look up to their parents as these perfect beings and then the kids like never want to communicate with their parents because they feel like everything they do is wrong mm -hmm. and it, it creates Absolutely. a separation which is which is traumatic for the kids and in the long term it doesn't serve the family unit better either yeah i i I tell my, uh, my clients as well, it's like, oh, well, we want to, you know, be knowledgeable and we want to be this and we want to be that and we want to be that. And I'm like, okay, here's the thing. If you sound, I, uh, I, I heard this at a conference. It was called the corporate wee wee, which is <laughs> if you go to someone's website and all you see is we understand this and we value this and we do this and we do this. It's because it's all corporate speak. It's nothing truly human. It's not true. It's not like a person and I, I have to remind my clients i'm like look a, an actual human being is going to read whatever we're talking about if we're talking about a blog post if we're talking about a sales letter if we're talking about an email how can you talk to a person to have that conversation because it's you know yes you want to portray the right image right you want to portray that you guys know what you're talking about but a business with the word business on a box is not going to read this a person is so how do you how do you make that connection Absolutely. And, and that's essential, whether it's copywriting, whether it's a leader trying to talk to a team or a parent talking to a child, you, mm -hmm. you're talking to a person at the end of the day.
and they yes. have to be able to understand and relate. It's so important. Yeah, understanding and relating is, is a huge part of what I do. And it's just a huge part of being able to run a successful business, I feel, because if you're too far removed from who you're going to help, there's, there's this huge gap that you're not going to be able to cross and they're not going to be able to cross because you guys don't, you're not speaking the same language, right? Back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, have you experienced that or seen that with a client and, and how did it play out from like where you or they were and how did you get them to kind of see from the ground perspective? So uh, it's one of those things where a lot of us are too close to what we do to see the distance or to mm -hmm. see the difference. So I had one client that, um, you know, they, they told me they had actually a clear idea of who they were talking with and they, they knew, you know, kind of their position in a, in a business and they knew their education level and what they already knew or didn't know about this particular product. And this was an AI software uh, for bookings. So like in the hotel reservation industry. And they said, you know, our, our people, they know a lot of stuff about hospitality, right? They know about how to run their hotels, but they don't necessarily know all the stuff about the software behind the different tools that they're using and the different mm -hmm. ways they can let people know about what they offer. Um, so all of our stuff has to be really easy, you know, from housekeeper up to manager, it has to be understandable. And I said, okay, sure, uh, we'll, we'll work with that, absolutely. And there's something called a reading score. Um, and there's a there's several different types of reading scores you can use. I like to use the Fleisch Kincaid because it's in uh, it's in a lot of word documents and you can use it as a spelling grammar check. Uh, and basically what it does is it looks through what you've written and it gives you an idea as to what reading level you're at. So you get a sixth grade reading level, you you know, a ninth grade reading level, a second grade reading level. Meaning, you know, how simple and easy is it for someone yeah. to read? Now, of course, there's variation because, you know, if somebody knows all the terms about hospitality, but that's considered a... a a more higher level reading, then of course, you know, th there's some room for improvement, but the idea is it's a general benchmark. And so I ran their current marketing materials through and I got an 18 back, which that's an 18 grade, 18th grade level. That's like so post-postgraduate. Like, post like, um, so there's that's like two regular grades. So basically you have, well, no, it's like a master's degree, I think, right? Because you have 12 years of through high school and then four years yes. of your regular education. So that's what, 16 plus two more for a master's degree, mm -hmm. more or less. So like a master's degree. So it would be a master's degree uh, for us in the U.S. This was not a U.S.-based company. Oh, so okay. So that changes system. everything. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, an 18, right? An 18 yeah. is, is pretty it's, it's, high it's, level. It's pretty high. Yeah. It's pretty high level. And I said, okay, if you want everyone in the company to be able to read this, you need to bring it down. Um, and I gave them a comparison. So like there's a, another uh, company out there that does a lot of research reports within their industry. So that's a little bit more... You know, it's, it's very research heavy, but they're still wanting to talk to a lot of people. And that scored like a 13. So I was like, okay, let's see if we can't get you down to a 13. You know, yeah. online in general, you want to be below an eight. But again, you know, it depends on your industry. So I was like, 13 is yeah. a benchmark. Let's, let's bring it down. And I, I gave them a couple of tools for how to do it. And I wrote a style guide for them so that they could know how to get that first draft that looks closer to what people could understand. And I had to get on the phone with them and explain why their material was not actually easily understandable. Um, because they're like, what do you mean? We write really simply. And I said, you write simply to your colleagues. But the people you're talking with, as you said, they don't have that background. 
they don't understand all the different things about AI and how algorithms work and how predictive correlations work and all that kind of stuff, right? So you have to kind of, you know, bridge the gap. You have to bridge the gap. And I was able to bridge the gap for them. And I, I gave them some examples and some ways to do that. Uh, but, you know, it was really hard for them to hear that because they were thinking, oh, our stuff is super easy. It's super understandable. That's how we want to be. And it was good that they knew who they were wanting to talk with and that they knew how they wanted their brand to be perceived. But then to kind of to break their expectations and be like, well, you're not exactly there yet. But, you know, then I'll, I'll have people who don't even know who they're talking to. Oh, we talk to businesses who do X, Y, Z. So remember, you're talking to a person. You're talking to a person. So what person are you trying to connect with? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Okay. This has been a wonderful conversation, and I know we can continue <laughs> to go on forever. I also know that we, we had a, a time commitment that we were going to hold to. So is there is there anything that we haven't talked about that you're like, I have to throw this in before we end everything? Absolutely. Um, so my big thing, okay, I talk with a lot of people in a lot of different areas, and they're all like, I hate marketing. Marketing is like that <laughs> it's a dirty word, you know? I don't want to sound like a used car salesman. I don't like marketing. It doesn't seem honest. And I'm like, okay, you've just looked at the wrong type of marketing. <laughs> my whole approach, okay, my, my absolute whole approach, I build entire marketing campaigns based off of one question and one question only. doesn't matter what you sell. I base it off of one question only to start. And that question is, how can I help you? How can I help you? And that's, you know, how can you as a company, your product, your service, your offer, whatever it is that you're doing, okay, how are you helping your clients? How are you helping your customers? Start from how can I help you? And then that'll lead you to, well, what things are they looking for help with, which leads you to creating content that's related to the searches they're already doing. Because when you're online, when you're talking about online marketing, people want to hear from you. They are actively searching for you. They just don't know your name yet. They have a problem. They want a solution. So you create your entire marketing campaign off of, well, what are their struggles? What are their problems? What do they need to move to the next step? Then provide them with whatever they're looking for. Uh, so that's, that's the one thing I want to throw in there for a lot of business owners is I've heard that a lot. Marketing's like a dirty word. They don't want to be the used car salesman. They don't want to bother their list because that's why they don't email them. And I have to, you know, remind them. It's like, look, people signed up to hear from you because they liked what you had to say. So when you approach it as I'm helping my audience, I'm helping these people, how can I help you? Well, that's what I need to create next for my marketing material. It's a, it's a complete shift in the mindset. And it also really helps you create great marketing materials that bring in the right people because that's what people are looking for. If they are looking for what you do, they will find you if you are creating marketing the right way. Absolutely. And I think that's, that question is one of the most powerful questions a leader can ask, period. Whether it's mm -hmm. talking to a, a clientele base or whether it's talking to your employee or whether it's talking to your kids, right? How can I help you? It's one of the easiest and most powerful questions you can ask, period. And Absolutely. if more people did that, think of how quickly the world would change, right? Uh, it would be such a nice place if all of us came from a place of help, if we came from a place of how can I improve your day, right? Let's not focus on the negative, focus on the positive. Absolutely, I'm a big fan. 
Absolutely. Okay. So Kimberly, you have been absolutely wonderful. If anyone's trying to get a hold of you, what are the best ways for them to do that? Throw in as many plugs as you want. Go for it. Absolutely. So uh, they can hear me talk about marketing and how to build your business properly uh, with the Audience Converter podcast available on iTunes, available, I'm sorry, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify, all the, good, uh, all the good podcast listening apps, just choose one. Um, if they want to get in touch with me directly, I'm available at contact at theaudienceconverter.com. Uh, as well, I am offering uh, a few free funnel breakthrough sessions at, for the beginning of the year. I'm really excited about Ooh. this new transition, this new position I've done. And uh, these are 30 minute, basically let's dive in and see what we can help you with uh, in, in a 30 minute session. And you can get, uh, you can sign up for one of those at theaudienceconverter.com slash funnel hyphen breakthrough hyphen call. It's a little bit long, hopefully the, the links will be in the show notes. Um, and if you wanna connect with me uh, on social media, it's uh, the audience converter on Facebook and uh, the uh, at audience convert on Twitter. Awesome, Kimberly! Thank you so much for all of your time. Uh, it's been a tremendous joy talking with you. Um, when when we had talked prior to this, I thought we were going to talk a lot more about Star Wars. It didn't happen <laughs> this time. It's going to happen until next time. I was we didn't get Lord, Lord of the, the Rings. Rings. Yes, yeah, so we, we covered, Lord of the Rings. covered okay. one. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cody, for having me on the show. It's been a blast. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Leadership Guide. Please make sure to go onto your favorite player of choice and there rate the show, then subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. Then, if you truly want to be a legendary leader, share this episode with someone that you know will be impacted. Because legendary leaders fuel not only themselves, but others as well to their heroic potential. If you want to unlock your heroic potential faster, then you will want to join the League of Legendary Leaders, an association of leaders who are dedicated to unlocking their heroic potential, unlocking the heroic potential of others, and where legendary leaders are born. The League of Legendary Leaders also has a goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofits that are actively undertaking causes to impact the future in areas including homelessness, neurodiversity, character strength, positive psychological research, and more. Seize the call now. Go to www.theleadership.guide and click Get Free Guidance Now to propel you on your journey to legendary leadership. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, and I'm honored to have spent this time with you today. My final message for you, and listen closely. It's time, wake up your heroic potential, let go of your fears and anxieties, and let's discover what is possible on your journey to become a legendary leader. Emerge and become who you were meant to be. Thank you.